Thank you, Howard. Thank you. A couple of weeks ago, of course, it was Easter. And so my message was prompted by considering time at Easter. I'm going to introduce my topic this morning reading from 1st Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. 1st Corinthians 2 verses 1 and 2. Paul of course wrote this, Paul the Apostle. He says, brothers and sisters, when I came to you I didn't speak about God's mystery as if it was some kind of brilliant message or wisdom. While I was with you, I decided to deal with only one subject, Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. The main theme of Paul's teaching as he traveled on his missionary journeys was Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. The cross of Jesus was absolutely central to Paul's teaching. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul wrote, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. So my message today is titled, Jesus Christ the one who was crucified. Why is the cross so important? Without the cross, there was no sacrifice. Without a sacrifice, there is no way for our sins to be forgiven. Without forgiveness of our sins, we can't have a relationship with God. We have no access to peace that comes from God. We have no assurance of a home in heaven. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, these people in the Galatian region were some of the earliest converts to Christianity that did not have a Jewish background. These were people that were converted purely from Paul's teaching. But sometime after he'd moved on from the Galatian, the region of Galatia, he heard reports that these Christians were no longer following the basic things that he'd taught them. So he wrote them a letter, and that letter, of course, is the book that we know as the book of Galatians in the Bible. Why had the Galatians turned away from the foundational teaching about Jesus? It's because they had been listening to other voices. There were people who'd come to them teaching what sounded a lot like Paul had taught, but there were a few differences. 
As a result of these differences, the Christians in Galatia started to fall away from following the true gospel that Paul had taught them. We are living in a world where there are many voices trying to get our attention and trying to give us messages that they think we should believe. There are Christian TV programs, there are Christian books, there is an unbelievable amount of stuff on the internet presenting Christian teaching. Some of it's fantastic. Some of it sounds like it's okay. But like the teaching the Galatians received, it can put us on a wrong track. We have to be careful about the voices we listen to. Now, it's very easy in this world for people to find someone preaching what they want to hear. People like to hear about the love of God. That's great. But there are very successful ministries that are decided that they want to just teach about God's love and everything that's positive and wonderful. And they don't want to give any negative messages. So they've stopped preaching about sin. And they've stopped preaching about the consequences of sin. If you're not talking about sin, then you don't need the cross. Because it was on the cross that Jesus paid the price for our sin. Then there are the prosperity doctrine te teachers. For people who want a God who's some sort of cosmic vending machine, you just pop up a prayer and down comes the answer. We live in a consumer society. So whenever you present the gospel, the question many people are asking you is, what's in it for me? So when you start about talking about sin and the penalties for sin, a lot of them turn off very quickly. A few years ago, I was working in an office job, one of these offices with all the little cubicles, one for each staff member, and some of the cubicles in our office had glass sections in the petitioning. And Easter came along, and one of the girls started drawing Easter bunnies and Easter eggs on the glass sections in the petitions. She was a brilliant artist. And I said to her, well, that's not what Easter's really all about. I said, how about doing a cross and an empty tomb? And she said, oh, that's gross. People like the chocolate and the holidays, but they don't really want to know anything about what Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday mean to us as Christians. You try to explain to them, and some may listen, but many of them think that the gospel is foolish. Nothing much has changed since the times of Paul. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 20, Paul wrote, The message about the cross doesn't make any sense to lost people. But for those of us who are being saved, it's God's power at work. As God says in the scriptures, I will destroy the wisdom of all who claim to be wise. I will confuse those who think they know so much. What happened to those people? What happened to those experts in the scriptures? What happened to the ones who think they have all the answers? 
Didn't God show that the wisdom of this world is foolish? So what is the message of the gospel? Most Christians could probably quote John 3.16, which is the gospel in a single verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his only begotten son. Why? Why did God give his son? How did he give his son? He gave his son to hang on a cross. Without the cross, there is no gospel. There is no good news unless Jesus died on that cross for our sin. Why did Jesus have to die? Again, Many of you would know the answer to that, could answer it easily. But it's something we need to be reminded of again and again and again. Two reasons. One, because the message of the cross should be the driving motivation that enables us to live our lives every day in gratitude and thankfulness for the price Jesus paid for us. Two, we need to have a clear understanding of the gospel message so that we are able to share it with others who need to know the love and forgiveness of our Lord Jesus. There are many people in the world who like to hear about God being a God of love. They like to receive blessings from God or they might look at Jesus as a great teacher but they don't understand why Jesus had to die. They ask the question, why couldn't a loving God just forgive our sins without sending Jesus to the cross? God does love us. He wants to forgive all, but we caused a problem that he had to deal with before forgiveness for our sins could come into effect. Illustration. Let's say you just bought a new car, brand new car. You had to take out a loan to buy it. You still own the finance company, a substantial sum of money. Then a good friend comes up to you and he urgently needs to borrow a car. So you lend him the car and he has a crash and the car is a write-off. So you go to your insurance company and they discover that your friend had let his license lapse a couple of days before the car was crashed. So the insurance company writes it off. They won't pay a claim because the car was being driven by an unlicensed driver. You have a wrecked car that can't be prepared you still owe the finance company a substantial amount of money. You need another car, you're going to have to buy another one. Your friend who borrowed the car is completely broke and can't afford to pay you a cent. What are you going to do? If you care about your friendship with that person who borrowed your car, 
you have to forgive them. But there is still a price to be paid. The finance company wants their money, you still need another car. How do you think your friend's feeling? He knows he destroyed your car. He knows you still owe money for the car. He knows he can't pay you back. He's feeling guilty. He's, he's feeling like he's destroyed your friendship. He's afraid to approach you in case you're angry. There is only one way that friendship can be destroyed, can be restored. Not only do you have to forgive your friend for crashing your car, you also have to pay the price for his mistakes. To re-establish your friendship, something in you has to die. Wherever unconditional forgiveness is offered, something has to die. What has to die? Any anger that you might have held towards the other person, any disappointment. You have to let die every thought of getting anything back from that other person. Any hint that you may give to them that you're going to ask them at some future stage for that money will keep them trapped in fear and will damage your relationship. Forgiveness has to be total and, and unconditional. So why did Jesus have to die? Because we had run up a debt we can't pay for. We had allowed sin to destroy the life that God had given us. God cares about us so much and loves us so much that he paid that debt in full through an incredible demonstration of his love. Unconditional, uncompromising love for us. The only way that we could be reconciled with God is if he paid the price for our mistakes. You have no way of paying that price yourself. There was only one way a debt had to be paid for with the death of Jesus. There was no other way. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 39 said, He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, not as I will, but as you will. What was Jesus' prayer? My Father, if it is possible... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What's Jesus saying? Please, Father, if there's any other way that the price for the mistakes of this world can be paid for, I don't want to go through the pain and the suffering and the separation. 
if there's any other way, now would be a good time. But there was no other way. So Jesus submitted his will to his Father's will and allowed himself to be arrested, tried, crucified. What have we done that's so terrible that God the Father had to let Jesus die on the cross? The simple answer is sin. But what is sin? Sin is anything we think or do or say that's offensive to God. God is holy. God is righteous. Everything he does is right. He is perfect. He is the truth. He has no imperfections. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. God is like a blinding light. And if darkness comes into the presence of God's light, the darkness is destroyed. If sin comes into the presence of God, it is destroyed. If we came into the presence of God with sin in our lives, we would be destroyed. The cross of Jesus was the only way of dealing with that problem. Without the cross, what is that position? In Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I heard a brilliant illustration relating to this verse many, many years ago. The speaker was talking about archers training and when in the time of Jesus, the uh, archers were training, um, they would be, some of the army were recruits, some of them were conscripts. And, but uh, when they were training in archery, they'd be firing at the target. And if they were really uh, well off, they would have a slave standing down by the target to tell them where they'd hit, you know, you've got an outer, you've got an inner, you've got a gold. And every now and then, the slave would delightedly call out, you've missed. And the word that translated you've missed is the word that is translated into fell short, fall short of. It means you're nowhere near the target. We have fallen short, we're nowhere near we're not even the outside of it. We're not where God wants us to be. Thanks, And then in Romans 3, 10 to 12, it says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
That's the position we're in. There is no way that we can work our way to heaven by ourselves. In Old Testament times, if a person disobeyed any of the commandments, then that person had to make a sacrifice to pay for their sin so they could be right with God again. In most cases, when that person sinned, they had to sacrifice one of their animals to pay for that sin. Even now, if you want to be reconciled to God, a price has to be paid for your sin. In Hebrews, it says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything is cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is a principle set down by God. And God never, ever violates his own principles. God wanted to offer forgiveness, not just to the Hebrews, but to the whole human race. The only way God could offer that forgiveness was for the perfect sacrifice to be provided. The only sacrifice that was perfect was one that God could provide himself. There is nothing that we could ever offer that would be adequate. God's answer to the problems was to send his own son to become that perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. So why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because as sin had separated us from God and there was nothing we could offer to pay our sin. But God wanted to provide a way for forgiveness for the human race. A perfect sacrifice was needed to settle the sin that we'd accumulated. Jesus died on the cross to become that perfect sin offering so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Without God's forgiveness, our destination will be eternal misery, sorrow and regret. Through allowing himself to be crucified on the cross, Jesus set us free from having to try to live according to the laws that were set out for the Jews. Those who accepted Jesus as Lord are under grace and not subject to the old laws, the Ten Commandments, the Levitical laws and so on. In Ephesians 2.5, it says, Even when we were dead through our sins, God gave us life together with Christ. By grace you have salvation 
What's grace? Grace is God's undeserved love for us. In this verse, the Bible tells us even though we may try, we will never, ever be good enough. We were dead in our sins. God accepts you into heaven just as you are. You don't have to get cleaned up and doing the right thing to get into heaven. It's purely by the blood of Jesus. It's a free gift. You can't earn grace. Earlier on I was reading from the book of Galatians. Many of the Galatians had become Christians as a result of Paul's teaching. Paul ta taught them about salvation by grace and grace alone. But they had started trying to obey Jewish laws as well. They were trying to earn their salvation by doing good works as well. It doesn't work that way. In the book of James it says, a person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. We aren't capable of meeting that standard. In Ephesians 2, Verses 8 to 10, it says, for by, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. It's not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even though it's clearly stated in the Bible that there is no way that anyone can earn salvation, there are still many who call themselves Christians who are trying to earn their way to heaven by doing good works. Why is this? Sometimes it's just people that can't believe that salvation is a free gift. There's got to be a catch. I've got to do something to get. No, all you have to do is believe. There are others who have been taught by particular religious groups, oh, you have to do works as well. No, it's a free gift. Another reason is, of course, of human pride. Oh, I can get to heaven because of my good works, my efforts. Never. It cannot happen. Yes, there are good works we should be doing, but those works should be the result of our salvation. They should be done out of gratitude for Jesus because he gave his life for us. There is nothing anyone can ever do to get to heaven by their own good works. If there was Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. 
For some people, the message seems far too simple. They feel they have to do something to earn God's forgiveness. The debt's far too great. There is only one way that our sin can be dealt with, and that was by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Jesus prayed to his Father, if there is any other way, but there was no other way. The very centre of the gospel we preach is Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Amen. Today, do you know absolutely for sure that Jesus died for your sin? No question. You know that your sin has been dealt with. Do you have total assurance that if you died today, you'd be completely right with God and there would be a home for you in heaven? Do you have that peace on the inside of you that only comes through that assurance of the salvation that Jesus gives? If you're unsure in any way of these things, I would love to pray for you this morning. So as the worship team comes up again, while we're singing, just make your way to the front if you need prayer. For any need at all, but particularly if there's anything in your heart that's just not quite right with Jesus at this time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you were willing to do your Father's will and die on that cross. Lord, thank you that you made a way through grace For us to come to you. Thank you that all our sin, not just the sins we've committed in the past, but even the sins we've been, that we may fall into in the future, have been covered, washed away by the blood of Jesus. Lord, so that we can come in and pray into your presence and not be destroyed. Because when Jesus died for us, his blood washed away our sin and when we come into Father's presence he sees us as clean and righteous as his own son Lord we put our trust in you thank you Father Please stand as we sing. In the quiet, in the stillness, I know that you are God. In the secret.
Crucified to save 